0: Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. We're clearing the docket this week. How are you, Judge Hodgman? Judge John Hodgman, open those justice
1: gates. I don't know the rest of that song.
0: <laughs> you know, they used to play that song uh, before. They may still before every uh, Sports game. Saturday, Friday and Saturday night showing at the Castro Theater in San Francisco on a grand Wurlitzer organ that rose out of the floor. Uh, oh my goodness! It's one of the greatest things you could ever hope to go see. I mean, it's a wonderful place to go see a movie, one way or the other. But uh, yeah, just seeing that guy pounding out uh, San Francisco, open your Golden Gates on the right on the mighty Wurlitzer. pounding it out. He put he put on boxing gloves and just went going ba 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 ba. Just now, I want to see a movie. Just imagine, just imagine like a like a little sixty year old. Uh, neatly trimmed gay organ enthusiast just rocking out to the maximum possible level of rocking out on the song San Francisco Open Your Golden Gates as he lowers into the back into the ground so the movie can begin. It's spectacular. It's one of the best things you could ever hope to see.
1: I'm glad to be here in the chambers with you, Jesse Thorne, to clear the docket. We've got quite a few
0: interesting docket cases. Yeah, well, why don't we start with Roxanne? She writes to right. us. My fiance and I have a disagreement about relish. I say that sweet relish is the standard. He believes dill relish is the standard. My reasoning. May is- I
1: just? May I break in for a moment and just say, break off the engagement.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's doomed from the start. Break it off. Go on. Let me hear the reasoning. My reasoning is when you purchase a prepared hot dog, the relish provided in the tiny packets is without fail sweet relish. His defense of dill relish is what is relish but chopped up pickles? And what's the standard pickle? Dill. I seek not only an injunction barring my fiancé from declaring dill to be the standard relish, but also stopping him from keeping dill relish in our fridge or anywhere in our household as it's kind of disgusting. Sweet relish. Thank you for your consideration. I like that she wrote Sweet Relish at the end. Just it's a great sign off to remind us whose team she's on.
1: You know, the Judge Sean Hodgman podcast has has long lacked a proper end of show sign-off from me, and now I'm starting to think it should be Sweet Relish.
0: Sweet relish. Judge But that's John more of an excla-
1: Yeah. It's more it's more of an exclamation,
0: like Sweet Relish. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like something one of the Bazooka Joe characters would say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and they would and they would never say dill relish, would they?
0: I do not believe that they would say dill relish, nor would they say one of the several other kinds of relish. I think there are a variety of types of relish, right?
1: There are many, many, many types of relish because relish doesn't just mean chopped up bits of pickle in sugar and vinegar plus some onion and bell pepper or whatever else they put in it. Relish also all jams and chutneys fall into it's any chopped up preserved stuff fall into Wikipedia calls North American traditional pickle hot dog style relish as pickle jam, which sounds like a a terrible, terrible event on a college campus. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure whether it's
0: organized specifically the campus of my college, the University of California (laughs) at Santa Cruz. Precisely.
1: I don't normally like to quote Wikipedia, but the entry on relish does contain this incredible sentence, quote, a notable relish is the gentleman's relish, which was invented in 1828 by John Osborne and contains spiced anchovy, end quote. I have had the gentleman's relish, the recipe for which I believe to this day is a closely guarded secret, although it's got a bunch of anchovies in it, that's for sure, and it is Delicious. But the Wikipedia also lists, literally under a heading, a list of notable relishes, which I am frankly infuriated was not something I included in one of my three books of fake lists of fake facts. The areas of my expertise, more information than you require in that is all still available uh, in paperback and on iBooks. At
0: Wikipedia, they are very serious about their relish notability requirements.
1: Yeah, and the list of the notable relish, relishes include such stalwarts as chow chow and picklily and cranberry sauce and tartar sauce. Wow. I never thought of tartar sauce as a relish, but I guess it is. Salsa and sauerkraut. But wow, you could almost you could almost define anything as relish. Mixed pickles. That's a list. That's one of the ones in on the list. Train? Never heard of that. Uh and, Wait, uh, and the band um, train? No train. I'll look it up for you. Train. C H R A I N or crane. I should say a Yiddish loan word from Ukrainian. Crin. Horseradish is a relish found in Ashkenazi Jewish
0: cuisine. Horseradish relish. Well, I'm glad to know that the band Train is not a type of relish. Although, from what I'm what I see here on Wikipedia, it looks like Nickelback is. (laughs) There are many.
1: <laughs> many 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 types of relish and that's why I'm willing to accept that there may be dill pickle relish even though until I read your docket case today I never ever ever heard of it or saw it but it's true I looked out there online there there are different like the um, this is not buzz marketing I'm just describing like Heinz which is a pretty typical relish packet supplier when you get those packets they say sweet relish on them and they also make a dill relish i didn't even know this thing existed you can get a gallon of admiration brand sweet relish online right now for $21.49 that's a gallon tub admiration is one of my favorite food brands it services primarily the food service industry the the word the the logo for admiration is one of the most naively drawn typefaces I've ever seen in my life. And they also make one of my very favorite things, which is admiration brand, real, heavy-duty mayonnaise. (laughs) (laughs) And when I say real, I'm not saying this is a real product. It is. On the label, it says admiration brand, real, and then a different font, heavy-duty mayonnaise. Which, since, sadly, I have not been able to strong-arm either Moxie, nor Utz, nor Cheerwine, for that matter, into sponsoring this podcast. I really hope, I'm reaching out now to admiration brand condiments and relishes. I love your things in gallons. I don't know if I want to eat them, but I would absolutely buy a gallon of admiration brand real heavy-duty mayonnaise, uh, to to use in my home as a as a
0: showpiece or uh, as a small ottoman for a chair. If anyone in America qualifies as a mayonnaise celebrity, it's you, Judge Hodgman. It ought to be me, right? I mean, I
1: have, I I have I, I have my own, I have my own brand of mayonnaise, my own private label at Empire Mayonnaise in Brooklyn. They made they made John Hodgman's brand survival mayonnaise for my Ragnarok. Uh, Netflix special and that's a real mayonnaise and it's shelf stable. You can still get it. If you go to surviveragnarok.com. that's the only place you can buy my survival mayonnaise. And that comes in the, in the Ragnarok survival kit, which has a DVD of the thing. That's a buzz market. I'm just going to put that out there. But the point is this, I don't know whether that you guys should get married or break up because on the one hand you're perfect for each other because you love talking about relishes on the other hand, your husband says words like, what is relish but chopped up pickles? And what is the standard pickle? Dill. <laughs> if I heard a man saying that to his fiance in a restaurant, I would walk out of the restaurant and tip over the table. That is, that, that, because that is not pedantry exactly, but it is um, disingenuous argument. If the gentleman prefers dill relish, there are obviously many brands to be had. I'm going to say just to counteract my Heinz marketing, Mount Olive apparently makes one as well. And then, uh, then I bet you, I bet you in your in your Portland, Oregon's uh, and your Portland, mains and 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 every uh, hipster outpost in between, and certainly in Brooklyn, there are all kinds of artisanal relish makers out there who are using all kinds of pickles. And not just pickled cucumbers either. But I think it would be quite a stretch to say. Even if you accept on a gut level that the dill pickle is your default pickle. And I will accept that in American culture for sure. But I think most Americans, and maybe North Americans, although Canadians can be a little bit weird. They might they might put poutine on their relish or something. When they get that packet of relish that is almost as... Roxanne says, "Sweet relish, I think that that has to be the default relish what have you Have you experienced any kind of uh, uh, relish uh, uh, regionalisms out there in uh, the
0: California you know in California, our list of uh, hot dog related and pickle related regionalisms is short. I, I think just because of the uh, the timing of the population influxes into the great golden state." So we just have sweet pickle relish. We also don't have super strong opinions about what you should put on a hot dog, which I think I only learned as an adult was characteristic of basically every other part of the entire United States. Children, children care. Sure.
1: I don't think I think, you know, I think I'll say to my to my taste. Ketchup alone on a hot dog is a little gross. Yeah, unless you're a child. But yeah, for a child. But but if it's if it's a grown person, that's fine. You do what you want. All I care is that everyone within the sound of my voice appreciates once and for all. A hot dog is not a sandwich. It is a hot dog. Uh, Yeah. No, I think mostly it's sweet relish with dill relish as an exception. I'm sorry, Roxanne's
0: husband. You're wrong. Here's something from Keaton. My brother and I just started watching The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Now my brother started watching Pee-wee's Playhouse and refuses to watch The Fresh Prince until I watch Pee-wee. I watched the movie and I thought, well, maybe this isn't a dumb weird kid's show. After watching the intro for the show, I knew I was wrong. I'm 14 years old. My brother is 10. He was told about Pee-wee by his friend, who's 11. Please help Judge John Hodgman. Uh, well, Keaton... Uh,
1: I hope named for Buster or maybe Michael P. Diane? Or Diane. Alex? P? Oh, that's who I was thinking of. Sorry, I messed it up. Alex P. That's what I meant to say. Michael P. I was thinking of Michael J. I got it all confused. Boy, oh boy, Jesse. Let me tell you something. I don't know when this particular episode is coming out, but it surely is after I appear on the Doug Loves Movies podcast promoting the judge john hodgman podcast podcast love podcast it's just the way it goes and i made a terrible mistake confusing confusing jim varney who of course played ernest in all the ernest goes to blank movies such as ernest troyer, goes to jail such as ernest goes to jail confusing jim varney and vern troyer
0: AKA the mini little me.
1: person, a.k.a. Mini-Me. And uh, I, I, I know exactly how my brain made this connection, because Jim Varney's character, Ernest, is always talking to an off-screen character named Vern. But I'll tell you something. Explaining that to a shocked and disgusted audience of the Gramercy Theater... Does not make them feel better about you. They make you feel worse. Shocked,
0: Embarrassed. Shocked, disgusted, and high out of their gourds. No, they were about the regular height. I'm sure I don't know what you mean.
1: (laughs) In any case, uh, Vern Troyer, not to besmirch the work of these men who work hard, Uh, and Jim Varney, sadly, is no longer with us. Vern Troyer uh, was in the second Austin Powers film. And Jim Varney was in many huh, Ernest Goes to blank films.
0: Plus Ernest neither, Stupid, which wasn't technically one of the goes to films.
1: But it was an Ernest film. That's true. And I believe he made them, not to indulge in a pun, earnestly. That was his life's work. You
0: know what I mean? Along with uh Vern? Along with franchised <laughs> regional auto commercials.
1: Well, that's how it started. That's how that's how that's how it began. He began on commercials. And his and his and his commercials, the character he created for all commercials for all kinds of different things, became so popular they made a movie. They, all, they might as well have made a PC versus Mac movie. Hint, hint America. If you can make, (laughs) Hey, Hollywood, if you can make 37 Ernest goes to places movies, you saying you can't make a Mac and PC road trip buddy comedy. Think about it. I will not write it, but I am committed to starring in it. Uh, In any case, all the, I don't want to say anything mean about Jim Varney, because he did also was the voice of Slinky Dog in the first two Toy Story films, and by all accounts, a wonderful dude. Uh, but the Ernest the canon and the, and the later Austin Powers, I would say for sure, are not what I would consider to be essential culture. In, arguably, I would say Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is a little bit more essential than them in that it launched the career of this super megastar, and the times that I have seen it playing in a break room or a doctor's office in the afternoon, a doctor's office waiting room in the afternoon, everyone on that show seems to be having a good time and is very charming. It's a not unpleasant program. But even though, Keaton, you are 14 years old and then, thus I should say, a little bit older than the target audience for the original run of Pee-wee's Playhouse, I would guess. The fact is that it is essential culture, wouldn't you agree, Jesse? It's pretty spectacular. It's a it's a it's an important piece of American culture because it represents such a strange time in our televisual history, when we entrusted our Saturday mornings children's program to underground cartoonists and avant garde post ironic performance artists. Like, uh, you remember, Laurie Anderson had that kid's show?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was too busy watching Barbara Kruger's kid's show.
1: Right, it was Laurie Anderson's Light Up Mouth show, and then there was also Karen Finley had a show, but it was only on for one episode because she did something that wasn't right for Saturday morning.
0: I feel like Barbara Kruger's show was called Don't Shop? I can't remember exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It also featured... Both
1: in front of and behind the scenes, incredibly talented actors, set designers, composers. I mean, the set design of Pee Wee's Playhouse itself is a legitimate work of American art of that time. It was designed by Gary Panter, the great cartoonist, uh, whose work I first discovered in the pages in the nineteen eighties in the pages of Raw magazine, which of course was the the new underground, underground and European and and new cartoon magazine that was co-edited by Francoise Mouly and um, and uh, oh my gosh, Art why Spiegelman, I, uh, Art Spiegelman of course, genius. Who and that's where Mouse by Art Spiegelman was first serialized, and Gary Panter's work was in there. Incredibly provocative, subversive cartooning. Uh, Cindy Lauper obviously sang the theme song, which is uh iconic. Uh it launched the careers of actors like Lawrence Fishburne and Esapatha Murkison and Natasha Leon. It had music from from Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo and The Residents, and the Penny cartoons were some of the earliest work of Nick Park and David Sproxton of Ardman Animation, who went on to make Wallace and Gromit. I mean, this is the DNA of this show is full of amazing artistry. And that's even the stuff you can't know when you're a kid you only know when you're an obsessive older person right but even as a kid imagine Keaton if you can I know it's difficult for you because you're a 14 year old and your imagination has uh has stopped working for a while while you're while your body pumps all kinds of weird new hormones through you that make you into an inhuman selfish monster who can't see an inch beyond himself for any given moment but imagine if you can what it would have been like in the 1980s when Saturday morning, all you could watch was "Brave Star," right, Jesse? Oh boy, yeah, great cartoon. <laughs> yeah,
0: great. that yeah, was really great.
1: And here, and here was a show that was anarchic, silly, profoundly human, decent, non-judgmental, weird. And this is the thing that I think is most valuable, because kids who watched Saturday morning television shows in this time, and arguably today, had no model of weirdness. So if anyone felt weird, right, if anyone felt like a weirdo uh, because of what they liked, what they listened to, how they felt, whom they were attracted to, what they looked like, anyone who felt like a weirdo and was a kid at that time had nothing to see until Pee Wee showed up wearing makeup. And talking to genies with heads in boxes, and uh, and and, uh, and malicious uh, mannequins, and creating a world for himself full of friends that was uh, and uh, profoundly strange and beautiful and human and great. And you also got to see what you didn't know you were seeing when you were a kid was a peek into this world of artistry, you know, of uh, uh, of the Gary Panthers and and uh, the residents and then googie architecture and strange musics and, and Miss Yvonne, the most beautiful woman in the world, which is not to take anything away from the the woman who played Miss Yvonne, who is beautiful, but not, you know, when you hear the most beautiful woman in the world and someone walks in, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a crazy 1950s hairdo and you, and, and she looks like your mom and Pee Wee is falling all over her. It's a beautiful subversion of what quote unquote beauty means. So Keaton, I don't blame you for not knowing any of this or not getting it. Cause as far as I can tell, you watched the opening song. Why don't you watch the rest of it? If it's not for you, I understand when I was young, grr, cause I'm still young, relevant and vital. When that show came out, I was in my late teens and, and, and moving into my, into my 20s. Like, I guess I was 17, 18, 19, around there. And I loved Pee Wee, right, Cause from the MTV, because that was cool. And I watched that show, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is, this is not for me. This is for kids. And only later did I appreciate, oh, it absolutely is for me. It's, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. I, like you, was a judgmental jerk, Because I was in my teens and I was anxious about my status in the world. That is to say, I was anxious about being uh, thought of as an adult and thinking of myself as an adult and wanting to put away all the greasy kid stuff. So I would obsessively cultivate only the most uh, 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 mature, sophisticated culture like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, for example. But as I have said over and over again to the person in my life who is closest to your age, a 13-year-old woman who lives in my house, now that she has started to worry about being adult, she acts more childish than when she was a child. You should watch this thing and figure it out and acknowledge that your dumb little brother maybe understands a little bit better than you do why it's great. And if you can't acknowledge he does, acknowledge that I do. But because you're a teenager and you can't acknowledge that, that anyone has anything to say to you, it may be some years before you appreciate that I was always right. Your weird dad was always right. And I just hope you visit me in the hospital when that time comes.
0: I have to say, Judge Hodgman, I was not... Uh, a teenager when Pee Wee's Playhouse was on television because uh, right. I'm e- even more young and vital than you are uh, yes. <laughs> I was in the I, I was about the same age as the younger brother in this question and it was the I I can say sincerely that I don't think there is a media product uh, of any kind and I'm even including books and films uh, in that that has changed my life or the direction of my life more dramatically or had a more profound impact on me than that show. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I look, you're 14. I understand you not wanting to watch kids stuff, and it's a show for kids. I mean, it's a, sh- a brilliant, amazing – it's like one of the greatest shows for kids ever created that can be enjoyed by anyone. Uh, but it is designed for children, uh, you know, again, by brilliant, uh, uh, amazing uh, – innovative underground artists but yeah it's for kids but yeah i mean at the very least watch a few of them and just please don't compare it to the fresh prince of bel-air i mean no offense to the fresh prince of bel-air which really is a perfectly decent family sitcom with an effervescent and brilliant star um but yeah i mean at least compare it to news radio or something
1: yeah, you know, that's actually a good comparison to make. You should also watch news radio, 14-year-old.
0: That's something for grown-ups, yeah. that I think a 14-year-old, yeah. there's no reason a 14-year-old couldn't enjoy news radio right now, right. as long as you're watching, as long as you're keen on watching something from the 90s uh, in a semi-ironic mode. <laughs> yeah. News radio is actually really exceptionally great and uh, also fun and silly, just like uh, the best of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air.
1: Created by the genius Paul Sims. Genuine genius. And uh, starring an incredible ensemble cast, which includes—you probably have never heard of Paul Sims, but I I bet you've heard of Joe
0: Rogan, so go enjoy it. (laughs) You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast, always brought to you by you, the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org slash— Join, and you can join them by going to MaximumFun.org
1: join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame, You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up? Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babel. Okay, it's 2020-24, 2020, 24, 2020 24. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman.
0: Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
1: Just one more week till max fun drive.
0: (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year.
1: And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating.
0: Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at maximumfun.org. Here's something from Stacy. My husband James and I enjoy marathon sessions of TV shows via streaming video. Thank God she didn't say it the other way. I really, I can't deal with people saying that thing that she could have said, but chose not to say anymore. I, you mean streaming video? No, 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 no. I mean, the thing that describes enjoying marathon sessions of television shows via streaming video. Uh, the Oh, I th-
1: I honestly thought that you were like, thank God she didn't say via streaming video. No, 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 no. I was making a joke off of that. You mean, you no, mean no, no, binge no, 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 no. Munch, munch, munch. The thing that I think you hate the sound of the term binge watching because oh, I hate the sound of the oh. word munch, munch,
0: munch. I was munching my munching. Ugh, gross. Now we're both grossed out. I feel like I would rather listen to people say "bay" than say binge watching. Um, <laughs> as the theme music for each episode of a show begins, James drums to the beat on my leg, arm, head, whatever he can reach. Sounds like a fun husband. This in turn makes it harder to get the song out of my head. For example, while we binge watched three seasons...
1: God! Ha
0: ha ha ha! Ha She was just not saying it for style reasons because she didn't want to say it twice in the same question
1: no that's right she did she She just has a
0: good copy editor she did not read your mind
1: and and agree with you that that is a term that is used by everyone all the time innocuously is the one term that she should not use in a letter to you she actually just avoided it that one time
0: anyway when we watched three seasons of the show breaking bad he would slowly reach over and grab my arm or leg and jiggle it at the end of the intro song in the part that sounds like a maraca what a creep Judge Hodgman, please rule that he must sit still during any intro song to a television show and keep his hands to himself in the interest of my sanity. Thank you. The
1: depths of this guy's obsessive need to physically abuse his wife while watching television themes is pretty intense because... You know, if 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 it began as tapping out a a drum beat, or a Seinfeldian slappy bass line on her clavicle or whatever, uh, you know, you get caught up in a thing, I guess. But the theme song to Breaking Bad has no, it's not, uh, it's not, uh, it's not a toe tapper, and that he had to come up in his mind with some alternate way to violate the personal boundaries of the woman he claims to love by shaking her arm or leg like a maraca at the end truly makes me wonder if perhaps this guy needs some help. Dude, Stacy's husband, maybe you think you're having a great time. I can't imagine that Stacy's first recourse... After the first couple of times of this was writing to me, I have a feeling she probably has spoken to you about it, and yet you keep doing it. It is not fun. just like whistling or table drumming is only fun for the person who is doing it. What's the other thing that's only fun for the person who's doing it? Oh, that's right, playing the ukulele <laughs> <laughs> Just like those things are only fun for the person who's doing it, you, to- you know, table tapping on your beloved's body is only fun for you, an annoyance for her, and I would say a real violation of bodily boundaries that needs to end immediately before I come over there and shake you like a maraca. The judge will never, I will. this court will never enforce its decisions <laughs> by shaking people or physically hurting people because I think that that's wrong. Obviously, you're not hurting her, but there is there is something very invasive about what you're doing and it needs to stop immediately. And if you have a compulsion to do that sort of thing, get up, set up bongos. And Stacey, in the meantime, be happy that almost all theme songs are now disappearing. What would he have done for the opening theme of Lost. <laughs> you know what I bet he would have done? Because <laughs> the opening theme of Lost, for the children out there who have, for, you know, that whole show seems to have been wiped from history. Sadly, I still love it. The opening theme of Lost was simply a weird, sustained, discordant note.
0: <laughs> Judge Hodgman, I'm having didgeridoo and Tuvin throat singing flashbacks to my college experience right now.
1: Oh, yeah. Up at the pickle jam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I bet you what he did when during the opening opening noise of Lost, would he would blow up a balloon and tie it and rub it on her hair to create static electricity. <laughs> Knock it off, Stacey's husband. You're acting like a creep. You know you are. Stop it. Have you watched The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt yet? I have not yet had the pleasure. I hear people enjoy it.
0: Well, you're really going to love it. Uh, any fan of uh, the hit show 30 Rock, I think, will will love it. mm mm-hmm. um, Because it has the same uh, antic comic tone. Uh, it's delightful. Well, Jesse, Jesse,
1: the... can I just say one thing, though? Yeah. <laughs> like, I appreciate your desire to try to get Tina Fey and The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt to sponsor our podcast, but... <laughs> It's kind of interfering with my efforts to get admiration brand real heavy duty mayonnaise to sponsor our podcast, and I kind of don't want to mess that up. And only one of those two can be used to pack a crank case. <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to blow my admiration money for some of that. That those Netflix nickels.
0: Anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say is, it does have theme music, uh, and the theme music has been lodged very firmly in my head to the point where I literally can't even look around a room and see a woman without thinking of the part that goes, These females is strong as hell! I'm going to have to watch it, just to dispel that earworm. Well well, buzz-marketed. Here's something from Will. My girlfriend and I just bought a new apartment and can't agree on how to show it off when someone visits for the first time. I contend the defaults to assume that guests do not care to take a tour and to only show them the space if they ask. This is how we've done it so far. My girlfriend says this is rude and that we should proactively offer to show them around when they first arrive. Judge Hodgman, should they automatically get the tour or should we assume that, like me, they don't care about a bunch of dumb rooms? (laughs) If you don't like your dumb rooms that much, why don't you move out?
1: Yeah, get a new apartment with, with, with sweeter rooms. I think assuming that other people don't care about you is uh, not a human default position. It sounds like a proactive strategy uh, that sociopaths make in their minds to justify, if necessary, why they don't care about other people. I would say that in terms of sheer etiquette, if you are visiting someone's new home, It is polite for the guest to express admiration for the home. And then it is polite for the host to say, would you like me to show you around? May I show it to you? And then it is polite for the guest to say, yes, please. And then everyone feels good, right? Which is the point of etiquette to make everyone feel comfortable and good. And it takes just a little while, and then the humans know where the bathroom is, and you don't have to tell them all the time. I think you're wrong, Will. I think it's entirely correct that uh, your girlfriend uh, makes this offer. This is her first home. She is, unlike you, uh, house, or I should say apartment proud, uh, and, and not dumb rooms cynical. Let her do her thing.
0: Here's something from Brad. Okay. I work with a fantastic group of people in the canola mustard Just say it. And rapeseed breeding program. Is that that's how it's pronounced, right? Yes. I'm not off base. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what that is. It's not grapeseed? Nope, it's rapeseed.
1: It's a it's an old, it's a it's a kind of seed. It's a it's a grain. A grain? Uh, hang on now, now I now I want to make sure I know what it is. Hang on, rape seed. It is. Yeah, it's a bright, it's a bright yellow flowering member of
0: the mustard or cabbage family. And uh, could we call it a rapa seed? One of the things it's also known as, or a rapa, or a rappy. <laughs> Well, why don't it's also known as simply rape? Seems like a bad name. Seems like they would have picked a new name. And it's funny. I'm trying picking to remem- names is part of this. So let's. I'm going to read the rest of this.
1: I'm trying to remember who it was that I was talking to who said that they grew up in Idaho. I think it was, and said that they lived in a town that grew a lot of roppy. Um, but that their <laughs> Stein still said, you know, welcome to. Enter name of town, home of corn and rape.
0: Oh, gee (laughs) whiz. Anyway, moving on. We focus on releasing new varieties uh, at at the University of Idaho. We focus on releasing new varieties, and when a new cultivar is ready for commercial release, it gets a name. It's become tradition to use girls' names for our winter canola varieties, with past names being Erica, Athena, and most recently, Amanda. My supervisor, Jim, really wants the next winter canola to be named after his daughter. She's a 16-year-old girl, and she's horrified by the thought of having acres of canola with her name attached to it. My supervisor thinks that this is all just a phase, and, is she's, and he's going to name it after her anyway, without any thought of her objections. I understand the annoyance of your family doing something you tell them not to do. We would appreciate your advice on this subject.
1: I have uh, a human living in my home. There's a grown 13-year-old woman living in my home who does not pay rent or contribute to the household in any way, but demands all the rights and privileges of a, uh adult roommate. Uh, and uh, and, and uh, this causes some problems. But I understand that it is the nature of this 13-year-old who is not 16, but a little closer than not, it is in the nature of the teenager to reject everything that is offered to her. Whether it is advice, or affection, or food, or immortality via winter crops, all must be rejected as part of the psychologically and developmentally appropriate effort to distinguish One'self from the experienced adults in her life by claiming she already has everything she needs and she doesn't need anything from you and she doesn't need a thing. And she already knows all the knowledge and she knows how to do it. Now I'm going to set these muffins on fire. It's a shame because I bet when Jim's daughter, who is not named, redacted for privacy... I'm going to call her, what's a lady's name? Martha. Martha. I agree. Martha is good. I'm going to call her Martha Jim's daughter. I bet when Martha Jim's daughter reaches college, she would love to be able to brag to her friends. When she's, I hope, working in in the dining hall, earning her keep. Not just treating college like some kind of summer camp. That over there in the corner of the kitchen, that gallon jug of admiration brand, Miss Martha Jim's Daughter heavy-duty winter canola oil, is actually named after her. It's exciting to have things named after you, even if it's a winter crop. Oh, sure, summer crop. Everyone's excited about that. Sure, new kind of corn on the cob, of course. Canola is something we need, too, Martha Jim's Daughter So, we know better than her. Supervisor Jim, me, Jesse, we're all dads. We know better. And you could deploy some negotiation. You could tell her that if she doesn't want the winter canola named after her, you'll give her name to the rapeseed. That's her choice. But I bet you she's going to say no to that, too. And honestly, if she says no, you have to respect her wishes. Because that is the psychologically and developmentally appropriate thing that you need to be doing, Supervisor Jim, as a parent, as an experienced adult, as a grown man, and letting your daughter make mistakes. Like Like not letting the... Canola be named after her. That's awesome. So I think instead you should name I know that it's traditional to name it after a a woman or a girl. I I would be so proud if you would name it John and Jesse, Winter Canola. Jesse is sometimes a girl's name. Sorry, Jesse. Just trying to get this canola named after us. You understand.
0: I understand. I would point out that it's usually spelled differently for girls, but it doesn't seem like the right time to mention that.
1: Well, look, I'm not ever going to check the spelling of this thing, so this guy's going to do what he needs to do.
0: (laughs) You're not going to buy a couple bushels?
1: John and... Please call it John and Jesse's real heavy-duty winter canola. (laughs) If you... (laughs) Just, I'm throwing it out there. I would give my own daughter's name, but she doesn't deserve it.
0: If it has to be a woman's name, can I suggest S. Epatha?
1: Uh, yes. You know that's pronounced Sepatha, don't you?
0: <laughs> no, what? It is. It really and truly is. That's not possible.
1: Oh, I Speaking of Lost, I was one time having a cocktail with my old friend Adam Stein, who knew Michael Emerson. Adam Stein will will not be someone you necessarily know. He's He's a great actor, stage actor, and a writer for TV. And his old friend from acting times, Michael Emerson, got the role of a lifetime on Lost, playing the villain, or maybe not villain, Benjamin Linus. Check it out, kids. And so Adam arranged a beautiful thing for me as a fan of the TV show Lost he arranged for us and a couple of other guys to have a cocktail together at the wonderful bar Centrale uh in 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 Manhattan the the the, the Broadway uh, legendary hangout of the of the Broadway stars and we're having our martinis and just getting along famously get it cuz he was famous sure and so are you well, uh, I was arguably more famous then than I am now. That's true. It was. It was. Uh, it was. It was. It was during the period when we were still developing the Mac versus PC movie, and uh, and who should walk over but Asapatha Murkison of Law and Order and Pee Wee's Playhouse and other things, and she totally fangirled over Michael Emerson, aka Benjamin Linus, and I was like, yeah, you're right. He's amazing. He's an amazing actor. Currently starring in uh, *Person of Interest* on a major network. Uh, Amazing actor. And then Michael Emerson got up out of the booth, and he was so thrilled to be talking to Esopatha Murkison that he left us all behind. And Esopatha Murkison stole Benjamin Linus from me, and I will never forgive her. And that's why I call her Sapatha.
0: Sounds like she might be a psychopatha. What she did was pathologically awful. Well, that's a pretty fair number of cases cleared, Judge Hodgman. If anybody out there has a case to share with us, they can go to MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. Or they can email them to Hodgman at MaximumFun.org. Our producer on Judge John Hodgman is Julia Smith. Our editor is Mark McConville. Wait a minute, Jesse, before we go,
1: don't forget that the Max Fund Drive is coming up next week.
0: Open your devices and mark your calendars. Starts the 16th, runs for two weeks. This is your one chance a year to support what we do here at MaximumFund.org and on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. That's how we pay for all of this. Um, it is actually supported directly by you. So, um, yeah, we don't
1: have that Uts money rolling in. We don't have that. We don't have that Moxie money rolling in. To date, we don't have that admiration, uh, mayonnaise Manays money rolling in, or uh, or the Tina Fey money rolling in. And even our wonderful sponsors who who do support us, and we are very grateful to them. Um, uh, you know, it's a huge help, but it doesn't it doesn't cover the cost uh, by a long shot. And so, starting March sixteenth, Jesse, let me ask you a question: Will we be pulling out some of the stops? No,
0: sir. Like M- most the of the organist, stops, like the organist at the mighty Wurlitzer at the Castro Theater on Castro Street in San Francisco, we'll be pulling out all the stops as we rise out of the floor, playing San Francisco, open your golden gates. I guess this metaphor, I, I. I put a little bit too much faith in this metaphor. I should have stuck with just pulling out all the stops. But, yes, we will be pulling out all the stops. We have multiple Judge John Hodgman cases that are exclusive to donors as well as 50-plus hours of exclusive content across all of our shows. Um, and, of course, great thank you gifts and all of that stuff. So March 16th, uh, the Max Fund Drive starts. Hashtag Max Fund Drive. Maximumfund.org slash donate and etc.
1: And if you're a current donor, you will have access to a brand new trial that is available only to you. Check your emails for access to the donors-only bonus content. It's about communal property in an office environment. And that's all we will say about it, except thank you in advance. New, current, upgrading members for the support that we know we can count on starting March 16th. It's really important
0: to us uh, because you are, and we want to keep bringing this to you. So thank you. Yep. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast.
1: Admiration mayonnaise, real heavy duty mayonnaise. It's one just for you. Maximumfun.org.
0: Comedy and culture. Artist owned.
1: Listener supported.